Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's a mark on every stage around the world that signifies the center of its depth and width called Center Center. Friend of the pod, James Whiteside, has dreamed of standing on that very mark as a principal dancer with the prestigious American Ballet Theater ever since he was a 12-year-old, blown away by watching the company's spring gala. This new, almost memoir, Center Center, is an exuberant behind-the-scenes tour of Whiteside's triple life, both on and off stage. Hear us chat with James about the inspiration behind the book, what the writing process was like, and what he hopes readers will ultimately take away from this collection of essays in episode 247. Grab your copy of Center Center now, wherever books are sold, or click the link in the description of this episode. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week we are joined by choreographer Durante Verzola. Durante began to hone his choreographic talents while training to become a dancer at the Miami City Ballet School. While still dancing professionally at the Pennsylvania Ballet and Suzanne Farrell Ballet, the choreographic notices continued to pour in, and he's since created many works for the Miami City Ballet, Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet, and many others. We talked to him about his creative process, how he adapted his methods during COVID, and what we can expect to see from him in the future. His work, La Falia, will be performed by Miami City Ballet at the Guggenheim Works and Processes in New York City on November 21st and 22nd, as well as in Doral, Florida at the Doral Holiday Fest on December 3rd and 4th. Check out our website for links to buy tickets to these incredible programs. Durante, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, we wanted to have you on for a long time, and we're, we're so glad that we're finally getting the chance to talk to you. I'm super excited to be here. Thank you yeah. for having me. We've had our eye on your choreography for quite some time, so we're happy to be chatting. But we want to get started at the beginning, as we always do with all our guests. So tell us a little bit about, briefly, how you got your start in dance and your interest in it. Yes. Um, well, I first got interested in dance after seeing a cousin of mine do a tap routine. And so I really wanted to be a tap dancer. <laughs> um, and so I started tap and eventually that led me to ballet. Um, I grew up in a military family, so we moved around every three years. So 
I was lucky that my parents were really supportive in um, making sure I always found a new dance school um, wherever we were. Um, and eventually um, I went down to Miami to train at the Miami City Ballet School. Um, <laughs> yep. Um, and I finished up my training down there um, before I went to go dance for the Pennsylvania Ballet for a couple of years and then um, with the Suzanne Farrell Ballet. I'm curious what that, maybe not what toll is not the right word, but what that meant for your training to kind of be moving around so much and going to different schools. Did you find like it was very hard to keep consistent technique training or did you feel like you were exposed to so much more and different things? What was your main takeaway from that? Um, I think my main takeaway was um, I just had a lot of really great teachers that were also very different um, and focused on different things. And I think that that kind of helped give me a more well-rounded view of dance and and a overall appreciation for all kinds of different dance um, and points of view within, within it. Right. When did you begin to form an idea of what direction you would like to take your uh, performing career? Obviously, you've been exposed to all these different styles and teachers. Um, but at what point did you kind of hone in on the idea that uh, the balancing style and technique was w- what you wanted to um, perform in? Yes, I think um, whenever uh, my family was living in Anchorage, Alaska, um, oh my I gosh. would, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yep, we're up there. Um, and I would go to the library a lot, um, to pass my time. And I discovered, um, the dance in America, the Balanchine choreography mm-hmm. by Balanchine. Um, they were on VHS tape and, um, I watched them over and over. And I think that that kind of, um, I was about, 10, 11 at this point, And I just became completely obsessed with um, the balancing technique and style and New York City ballet. And um, I, I think it kind of opened my eyes to a way of moving and a musicality and um, an energy. Um, and so I think at that point, I knew that I wanted to um, train in that technique and style and dance those ballets. Mm-hmm. So then how did you kind of become um, aware of Miami City Ballet and that that might be part of that journey for you, that you could find that balancing aspect in your training and then maybe um, in dancing with the school? Um, I guess I had always heard um, that it was one of the, you know, top companies to dance balancing ballets. And I knew about Edward Valella and um, I did an audition for the summer program, but I didn't end up going. Um, And then, you know, I was 16 and I was like, I need to get out of Kansas and go somewhere if I want to make this career happen. And so I, um, I uh, just packed up all my stuff and I went down to do the audition for the school year. And luckily I got in and my family left me down there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now was this during Lourdes's time or was Edward still there what year are we talking here uh so this was in 2012 so I came down and technically um it was her Lourdes first year. hadn't yes it was her yeah. first year so that all kind of happened as in those first couple weeks that I was auditioning and became accepted to the school right mm-hmm. that was the year that Edward was due to 
fig- finish out the year, but mm-hmm. Lourdes began directing the company yes. early. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very, <clears throat> very big uh, transition for the company. So in- yes. interesting that you joined the school at that moment. So I'm wondering, uh, at what point did uh, the passion for choreography come into the picture? Obviously, if you love balancing, you have a deep respect for, um, you know, the craft of choreography. Um, how did that influence your own decision to start creating ballets yourself? Um, I think, well, I always had a love for making my own dances. I am the oldest of six, and I would force um my five younger siblings to put on shows in our living room and force my parents to sit through them I would make do a whole thing I would make you know use all of our printer ink and paper to make programs like I was very into the whole production of making um putting on a show and so I think there was always that um desire and um passion I think to to make my own work um, in that way. And uh, when I was down at the school in Miami, my last year in the school, they introduced um, like a student choreography class. Um, and um, I did it and uh, I just had three of my best friends and we made a, a piece and it was really fun for me. And um, it was something, you know, that last year of training where you're stressed about what's going to happen with your career as a dancer. That was a really nice kind of getaway and something where Mm. I could focus my creative energy into. And um, I realized how much I really like loved it and wanted to pursue that further. Um, Yeah. Did you start to maybe then shift your thought process? Like maybe I don't need to, like, were you ever thinking like, maybe I don't want to go into a career actually dancing. Like maybe this choreography is for me or were you still thinking like, Mm -hmm. I want to, dance and get that part of my career maybe this is like a next step for me yeah I think I was thinking more along those lines um but then after a few years of dancing um the choreography thing kind of just took over and I just followed through with that it felt like it was kind of calling to me in a way and I really loved um as a dancer my favorite part of of um the career was the process and I think as a choreographer and as a teacher, you really get to hone in on that process and make it all about the process and mm-hmm. um, and those relationships that you build in the studio. And so, um, yeah, I just loved every aspect of it and kind of allowed that um, what was happening with the opportunities I was given in choreography to mm-hmm. I just followed that. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, how do, how do you feel your age um your youth affects your, your work in, in terms of um, you are still fully capable of dancing. You know, you're, you're so young still um, kind of in the same way, Rebecca, we talked about like the distance from being a dancer as a teacher, like mm-hmm. not, you know, a lot of choreographers at this very established choreographers, you know, that happens when you've been at it for decades, but you can still, if we wanted to slap some white tights on you, I'm pretty sure we could we could oh, get you out there. So, so how does that uh, impact your own um, work? I mean, because you know how you you could feel what what your own work mm-hmm. is like for a dancer because you yourself could do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I mean, I hope that it adds an extra sense of energy into my work, and um, um, because I can feel the steps, um, and know exactly 
you know, how they work and how they come out of the body. Um, I hope that I can get even more in tune with the music because I'm like, well, this works, this doesn't work. Um, I think I'm able to um, transfer the information to the dancers maybe a little bit easier because I'm able to really feel what it feels like. And I know like where I need to shift my body in order to make these steps happen, to make the movement even more dynamic. Um, so I, I hope that that, um, it, my ability to still be able to move in that way helps my choreography in that way. Are you right. often dancing full out in the studios with the dancers? <laughs> Do you warm up before <laughs> rehearsals? <laughs> um, I try to, um, <laughs> but some days I am hurting because I've done a little bit too much the day before in the studio um, that I probably shouldn't have been doing. Um, but I, I, I do, I love as much as I miss um, kind of being a dancer every single day in that lifestyle of a dancer. I feel like I do get to move and dance a lot because I do find myself like not being able to help myself just go for the steps when yeah, I'm right. there. So I haven't had the privilege of seeing one of your works yet, but I've been following you on Instagram for a long time. And so I see a lot of the great clips that you put out there. And a lot of it involves like a big group of dancers. And you have really interesting ways of kind of of coordinating them and moving this big group in and out. And I wonder if that kind of goes back to working with your siblings and having a big group right from the get go <laughs> to work with. <laughs> um yeah, I think so. I think um I'm definitely very good at being bossy because it's <laughs> my whole life I was doing that with my siblings um but it's interesting that you say that because honestly uh moving groups around is the biggest challenge for me I think when it comes to choreography like I much it's a lot easier for me to just come up with like a solo or a duet or mm -hmm. something like that um but I definitely have to um think a lot about how to move the groups around and I do try to keep it interesting so it's not um like the same old thing that we've seen over and over um mm -hmm. and i like to make sure that all the dancers are moving and involved and look alive whenever they're doing what they're doing yeah can we talk a little bit about how um you started to gain momentum um in terms of uh having more consistent choreographic work like who were some of your first major supporters that kind of put you on this path to um getting consistent commissions Mm -hmm. um, there's been a couple of people I've been really lucky to um, make some great connections and have these great relationships with, um, <clears throat> excuse me, people that um, have really helped me along the way. I think the first person who saw my work when I was a student at Miami City Ballet School was Lourdes Lopez, who's the director of the company down there. And she came to the student choreography workshop. Um, and she saw that first piece that I made and she came backstage right away. And she was like, where did this come from? Like, we had no idea you could do something like this. And um, so then she took that work from the student choreography workshop and put it in the end of the year, like performance with the other ballets that were being shown. And so I think that gave me kind of a little boost of like, oh, maybe this is actually like, you know, you love doing this, but maybe this is something that you could make into a career. Um, and then I went off dancing in Pennsylvania and I didn't tell anybody there that I did any choreography, but the school director from Miami came through to do like their summer program auditions. Um, and she told um, Arancha Ochoa, who is now the school director at Miami City Ballet School, but at the time was the school director in Pennsylvania Ballet, um, 
that I did choreography. And so then she had me do stuff for the school. And from there, um, the late Barbara Weisberger, who was the founder of Pennsylvania Ballet, she was at the school performance um, where they were doing my choreography and she saw my work. And so she made calls to people. So it was kind of all three of those um, people, Lourdes, Arantxa and Barbara, I think were really instrumental in kind of helping me get my start and getting my name out there and believing in me and giving me the confidence that um, my work had value and something to say. Right. And then what kind of came next from there? When did you started getting many more commissions at that point and you have mm-hmm. for the past few years since then? So then who else have you worked with since? Um, I've gotten to do a lot of um, like fellowships and one different choreo- choreographic awards that have allowed me to create new work. So I think, um, you know, I've worked and taught a lot at Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet. I made a work for them and participated in their um choreo plan where they bring in choreographers. Um, I worked with, uh, I won Joffrey Ballet's Winning Works, which is for um, emerging choreographers of color. And as a half Filipino man, um, I was able to participate in that. Um, So I made a work for their second company. Um, uh, This past summer, I worked at the Center for Ballet and the Arts at NYU and was able to create a new work. so yeah, it's Ballet Chicago, um, kind of all over the place. Sometimes it's hard to believe that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I've been able to make it work. It's definitely a hustle and it's definitely a challenge to, um, you know, make it all work and happen. But um, I feel really lucky that it has. Right. Let's talk a little bit about your own personal aesthetic and um, what informs your choreography. Uh, obviously, you know, you're a balancing baby like us, you know, mm-hmm. I'm sure. And, and I see in your work, of course, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, the speed and energy and uh, emphasis on musicality that obviously seems to come from that influence. But mm-hmm. are there other sources of inspiration that we might not guess uh, just upon immediately seeing your work? Um. Well, well, yes, like you said, definitely like that, that Balanchine, um, the speed and um, all of that. And I try to, in terms of musicality, I try to get even more into the music um, with every piece that I make. So I think mm-hmm. that's where the initial inspiration always comes from. I have to find a piece of music and um, it has to work for me that in terms of that, I see it as being danceable. Um And that's really the only preparation I'll do before getting into the studio is just knowing the music inside out. I'll fall asleep with it. I'll, I'll put it on as soon as I wake up in the morning. Um, And, um, but I think other forms of inspiration, I definitely try to um, be inspired by the environment that I'm in. So say like when I'm down in Miami, like, I think there's a real sense, you know, there's, you have the sunlight and you have the ocean. So that kind of renewal that's happening day in and day out. And I try to be inspired by those abstract things as well. um, And bring that into my work wherever I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And I try to get out there and see other forms of art, you know, go to museums wherever I am creating work or, um, you know, learn the city, see the architecture of the city and the energy of the city. 
So I think all of those things I try to bring into my work to, and I think that makes it more human and more alive and more in the moment. Right. Definitely. I have a question as a follow-up to that. Um, Cause it's, I think this is so personal to every choreographer, uh, but what do you consider danceable music? Like what, mm-hmm. what, um, what scores are you attracted to and what's music that you absolutely would never touch? Like how does how that, do how do you, it? yeah. <laughs> um, I, in my opinion, danceable music, I think it has to have a, a rhythm within it that, um, that you can move to, which I guess is different for everybody. But for me, um, it has to be a more, um, obvious rhythm, I guess. Um, and I'm attracted to classical music. I think there's so much there and so many pieces that haven't been explored yet. Um, and that music is so intricate. There's so many layers and, um, so many of the composers and artists that, you know, that created the music, they, you can feel their passion or their pain or their happy, you can feel all these emotions in it. Um, and I'm able to connect with it a lot easier, I think. Um, so I've, I've made a lot to hide in. I've, um, I'm always attracted to Mozart, even though it's extremely intimidating for me because Mm -hmm. it's Mozart. Um, but I, I, um, I think there's so much intricacies and uh nuances there to explore um how do i find music um well when i was first starting out i would listen to a lot of classical music radio i don't listen to the radio so much anymore but i would find a lot from there and i would just you know write down um what i heard um now i like through spotify i'll just keep um like the music playing like I'll play a piece that I like and then related pieces will come up to it or things like that um and then I just I have a big ongoing playlist of different pieces that I'd like to use right mm-hmm. is there something like what's something um do you ever venture outside of this realm like have you ever just randomly been inspired by like a, you know I don't know a piece of pop music or something <laughs> or what's something that we would be surprised by um to be on, I mean, I am a big uh, like everything about the '70s fan. Like, I love to like. I spend way too much of my money like going to vintage shops and getting like bell bottoms and things like that. <laughs> and so I'm, I and I love like collecting records. So honestly, like this would be like so crazy and out of the box for me. But I would love to like make a ballet to like disco music someday, and like have like recordings like that are transcribed from the actual record, so you get that like. No, that sound of the record right. in there. Um, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So um, that's that's kind of something on the back burner for me. I would have to find the right project to to do that. But um, yeah, I, and I think that that music that has rhythm, that has that has soul and passion to it, and there's so much there to 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 be expressive with. Definitely danceable. Um, Mm -hmm. While we're talking about music, have you done a commission yet where the music is given to you and then you have to work around those parameters or have you been able up till this point to choose what music you're working with? Um, I've been lucky that I uh, have been able to choose all of my music so Mm -hmm. far. Um, I guess I don't mean it lucky in the terms of, it would be amazing to have a commission piece of music, but I think um, it would be a big challenge to, Mm um, have something that, you know, I didn't pick out myself. So, um, I hope one day that that's on the horizon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
So tell us a little bit about how COVID has impacted or altered um, your your workload and and definitely in the early days, certainly the creative process since um, you were, I'm sure you were doing some Zoom rehearsals, I believe for Miami City Ballet. Yes, yes, <laughs> there was definitely um, a lot of Zoom. I think at first it was super, just like for everybody, it was very demoralizing and disappointing um, when everything, I had so much planned um, in 2020, um, it was gonna be a big year for me. And so to have that all kind of just like come crashing down all at once, um, it was hard. And, you know, I moved back in with my mom, um, and family and, um, I took a bakery job. Like it was a whole, you know, it was, it was a big change for me. Um, but I was lucky and people didn't forget about me and they, you know, when, you know, we found out it was possible to make works over zoom then, um, I started doing that and I was lucky that I got to do, I got to do things with Miami. I did things with Valley Chicago. Um, I did a lot of teaching over Zoom, um, but it did affect my work. It changed my work. I wasn't, I love, like you said, these big group things and I love um, huge movement. And whenever I'm, you know, confined to this small space, um, it affects what the work looks like and, and, the mood of the work and um, all of that. So um, I'm glad to be back in the studio now mm-hmm. for sure. <laughs> if I'm if I'm not mistaken, this Zoom time maybe inspired um, a work that you did with Center for Ballet and the Arts. Is that right? Based on my reading. Yes. So it <laughs> Tell did. Us a little bit in, about that. Yes, um, it did in the way where um, over, um, you know, these pieces made over Zoom, I couldn't do any kind of actual partnering where the two dancers were touching and, um, and, you know, lifts, turns, all of that. Um, and it kind of forced me to think in a different way to create a pas de deux and that you don't actually have to touch to, to make something that, um, a relationship is happening and atmosphere is created on stage. And, um, it actually interested me interested me a lot more than actual traditional partnering. It, I, it made me um, think of steps that were more expressive, more meaningful, more um, communicative. Um, so I wanted to make a piece at the Center for Ballet that um, even though the dancers were side by side in person, that they um, didn't use any traditional partnering and created something that um, there was a relationship on stage that you could see and feel. And you worked with two of our faves from Miami City Valley, Ashley Knox and Renan Serdiero. And the, cl- the clips that I've seen look so beautiful. Will that work have another life? It will. So um, later this month, it's going to be performed at Guggenheim's Works and Process, um, where I'll be speaking about the piece with the moderator, Linda Murray, who works at the Jerome Robbins Dance Division um, near uh performing arts library and um uh the dancers are going to be you know showing giving an insight of how the piece was created and then um they're going to be performing the full work that's so cool so awesome so have you had an opportunity to show your work in in the city beyond um the original process with ashley and renan um, I have had a couple of opportunities. It was shown by Columbia Ballet 
um, Collaborative at Columbia University um, in 2019. Um, they performed a new work of mine. Um, and then actually just last week, I participated in a session at the New York Choreographic Institute um, with the dancers of New York City Ballet. So it wasn't an onstage performance, but uh, there was a in-studio showing at the end of the two weeks I spent there um, where um, I was able to show what I created. Was this your first time doing Institute? It was, yes. So it's a, it was a huge dream of mine to, I mean, as a Balanchine lover, as, you know, this, um, you know, idolizing New York City Ballet for so long to be there. And so it was really cool to, right. to get to get to that point. Yeah, Institute is, I mean, seems like just about every choreographer of note goes through there at some point. You know, anyone that we think of as a big name now. And a lot of people that go on to have huge careers in Europe that maybe we don't see mm-hmm. that much of. Like later on, I'll, I'll look back and be like, oh, they did Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing for um, Works in Process. I mean, this is, it's like uh, everyone, you know, they, they really delve into such a wide array of artists and different forms of dance. And, um, and they've made such an interesting great effort to steer it away from more Eurocentric dance. Um, so uh, for, for you to get to be a part of um, what they do too is pretty amazing for someone as young as you are. Yeah. No, I'm super excited about it. I wonder too, have there been changes that you've made to the work since I think you created it um, at Center for Ballet and the Arts in June, is that really this summer? Mm-hmm. And then, so have there been any changes? It's been quite a little, quite some time now. Um so what has that process been like going from that, uh, you know, finished product now to reprising it and bringing it back for works in process at the Guggenheim? Um, not a whole lot of changes have happened, but I have tried to just develop those ideas of making something that was less traditional, breaking away from those like gendered stereotypes within classical ballet pas de I've tried to develop those ideas even more. And um, especially since I have the opportunity to really talk about those ideas to the audience and explain them. Um, I've tried to connect more with exactly what I'm trying to get across, which is um, that, um, you know, ballet can reflect the the changing world that we're in. And um, I think it's important that it does so. And so I hope that this piece kind of um, is, is a part of that change. So South Florida will also be seeing a work of yours. Um, is, is this the same work that you've done? You've done so much for Miami City Ballet now. That I'm just, so this is, this is um, what, what is going at the Guggenheim. Yes or Yes. No? So it's, okay. a, it's the same ballet that will be performed um, outdoors in Doral, um, along with um, a few other ballets. Mm-hmm. So okay. for our listeners, the Works in Process is November 21st and 22nd. And then uh, the Doral performance for our Miami listeners uh, is December 3rd and 4th. So it's very exciting. So just before we wrap up, tell us um, what else you're working on and what's next for you after these performances at Works in Process. Um, well, after works in process, of course, as you mentioned, I have the ballet will be shown down in Miami. Um, and then I'm really excited in the new year to be working with an all male company out here in California. It's called Ballet to Dose and the, um, men perform on point, um, and, uh, so I'm really excited to create for them and, um, 
get to, you know, continue to kind of break down those, um, those boundaries that um, are within classical ballet and explore other facets of it. So I'm really excited about that. So this goes back to, to us talking about you still being a current dancer and being able to show everything. Are you going to dabble in those point shoes and (laughs) I don't, I don't think I'm going to be ready for that. (laughs) Um, But you know, I will, I'll try my best to get, to get them comfortable um, up there and create some, some pretty beautiful steps for them. Mm-hmm. I, I was just thinking, I thought you would appreciate this because mm-hmm. as a Valentine nerd, but uh, hearing you talk about, you know, dismantling those ideas and, um, you know, sort of pervasive gender roles in the art form. Um, it made me think, Valentine would always say this about different things when he, when he would do something that was kind of, um, uh, you know, controversial, like he, when he would, would cut something from the music or, uh, I think when he flipped the, the final movement, the last two movements of Serenade, mm-hmm. he flipped, right. That's not how they're played, um, right. in, by symphony orchestra. Uh, but he would say, I can do it because I love it. So it's uh-huh. like, I know how much of a bunhead you are and what a, like a classical <laughs> ballet dork you are. And you're like, I can dismantle it because I love it. I'm allowed to. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I have, I'm the biggest bunhead ever. And so I, I have this deep love and appreciation for it, but I also know um, that it can change and still, still, um, you know, uphold the tradition in, in a way, but um, kind of evolve with, with where we are in the world. So, yeah. And it's like we love Verity used to say, so mm-hmm. people does this change is good. <laughs> <laughs> How true. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, well, before we sign off, Durante, tell us where um, we can find you on social media so people can follow you. Yes. So um, I'm most active on Instagram. Um, my Instagram is just Brazola Ballet. Um, and then I also have a website, which is BrazolaBallet.com. Awesome. Thank you so much much for joining us. Yes, thank you both so much. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.